Once again, <clears throat> I have to say what a delight it is to be back with you. And I have to thank the Lord for those who filled in for us, the messages that were brought. We so greatly appreciate. It's good to see you, good to be with our family. I would direct your attention this morning to the book of Numbers, again, chapter 15. Someone asked me, why Numbers? Well, it's the gospel preached in Numbers, just like we'll find in the book of John or the book of Luke. I'm reminded from time to time that this Old Testament was all that our dear Savior ever used to preach from, because what we know as the New Testament was not even written at the time. It came after his crucifixion. It came after his resurrection. Men were used of the Holy Spirit to write down those things. And the book of Revelation. Uh, I would hate to have to interpret any book of the Bible by what time it was written. So I'm going to leave the book of Revelation prior to some activities that took place. But here in the book of Numbers, chapter 15, verse 1, the word of God says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Now once again, if you'll notice there, that word Lord is in capitals. And so this is the name Jehovah. Jehovah is speaking through Moses to Israel. Now, this is a most interesting chapter, this chapter 15, for it follows the last two chapters that we've gone through, and that, by and large, is a great rebellion against God. We had those 12 spies sent in, 10 of them came back with an evil report, and even as Joshua and Caleb did their dead-level best to convince them and the rest of the people that God was able to do what he said he was able to do, many people, including those ten, and many other people, rebelled against God. We find that this is just as natural as breathing. Rebelling against God is our natural instinct. We heard read this morning there in the book of Romans chapter 3, And that is a compilation of many Old Testament verses of Scripture. Many of them are found in the Psalms. They're direct quotes from the Old Testament. And you know and I know that people will tell us after hearing that or reading that, that that does not apply to them or does not apply to me. We are always better than that. We're always saying that we have, we're the exception But the scriptures share with us quite plainly that we are in rebellion against God. Now the old church fathers used two words to describe this. And they never insinuated that there was anybody ever born that had completely had sinned as much as they possibly could. But the terms represent the fact that when Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, it affected every capacity that we have. It tells us that in the fall, our minds were darkened. And that is a darkness that we cannot even see through. We find that Jesus said to Nicodemus, except ye be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. 
And most people just say, well, that's a figure of speech or that's something that uh, we learn in Bible school or Sunday school. We'll get around that problem. But you know what? The Lord Jesus uses that term on purpose and it means that there is a birth that comes from above. And that is granted by God. And without that, we cannot see and we cannot know the kingdom of God. If we were to read the history of mankind... From God's perspective, we would see that 99.999% of it has been in rebellion. Nancy and I just witnessed a great deal of that as we traveled on the Rhine River between France and Germany, much of it. And we were taken through tours and we went to the great cathedrals that were found in the middle of those towns. And I told one of my guides, it's a Wonderful architectural experience, but I have no use whatsoever for the religion. Because it is a mark of rebellion. A mark of rebellion against God. That you, by yourself, can work your way into heaven. And there in Romans chapter uh, 3 and verse 9, it says, For we have proved, both Jew and Gentile, that they are all under sin. And in verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. I would direct your attention right now over to the book of Psalms. Would you turn with me to the book of the Psalms, Psalm 14? (coughs) Excuse me, Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. In this, we find a commentary on what we have read in the book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14, excuse me. The rebellion that was against God, rebellion against God's word, a rebellion against God's messenger, a rebellion that stands out. And we find that those people are shared with God's indignation and the ten spies that came back with an evil report were consumed immediately before all the rest of them. And the rest of them wandered through the wilderness for 38 more years until that generation passed away. Here in the book of the Psalms, Psalm 14, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord himself, this Jehovah that we just read about in Numbers chapter 15 and verse 1 that spoke to Moses, the Lord, Jehovah, looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Now, we would hope, from our standpoint, there would be at least one. But we have to listen to the Word of God on this subject. God is much more understanding about the problem than we are. He understands the fall much more than we do. And his commentary on this was, They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, we have to say this in respect to God. Now, people have contributed to hospitals, schools, contributed to this. They've done good things to their neighbor, all of that. But that doesn't count any towards salvation. We love to be living against good neighbors. We love to have them beside us. We love them that would take care of their property and so forth. But when it comes to a relationship with God, those things do not count because God himself said, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. As we look at this, we find in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 14, they demonstrate the universal problem. Without the new birth, they could not expect anything else. 
You know, I look and reflect upon Joshua and Caleb, and without the new birth, they could not expect anything different from these ten spies. They could not expect them to have an honor towards God without God's revelation to them. They could not expect them to have any service towards God without God's revelation to them. And yet we find that Joshua and Caleb both implored them, Be ye reconciled to God. They cried out to them. They desired that they would have a change of mind about God. But those two preachers of righteousness understood that if anybody was going to have a change of mind about God, God would have to work in them. Because we naturally and normally will never change our mind about God. Be ye reconciled. You know, there's a couple of three words used in the New Testament. Uh, and uh, Brother Lauren brought him the message last week from 2 Corinthians there in chapter 5 and verse 20 about be ye reconciled to God. Well, reconciliation has something to do with at one time, these two parties were friends. And the fellowship fell out by one party. And the message is, be reconciled to God. Now, what is going to have to happen? God's not going to change. God's never going to change. And we thank God that he does not change. He, I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. He is, there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning with God. He does not change. He's not influenced by our prayers. He has knowledge of what we have need of before we ask. And many other passages of scripture. He's he's desiring. He's pleased when we ask things according to his will. And that's the only thing he's going to deal with. Is things according to his will. Well how blessed it is when God's people are in a position where they are according to God's will. It's much pleasanter there than it is elsewhere. All right. So we have here, be reconciled to God. And that was the message of Joshua and Caleb. You know, without God's intervention, without God's coming in and dealing with them, there was no change among them. And that's Numbers chapters 13 and chapter 14. Rebellion against God, the results of rebellion against God, In these two chapters of Numbers, we see the end of unbelief. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews for a moment. The book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 3. In Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 17. Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 17. Now, this is the summation of chapters 13 and 14 of the book of Numbers. This is God's commentary on it. I don't have to go study Gill or Hawker or some other commentary. Right here explains the whole thing. What happened in Numbers chapters 13 and chapter 14 is summed up here in these three verses. But with whom was he, God, grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. 
So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, who gives people belief? God does. And without it, we will not believe. And they did not believe, and they died in the wilderness. This is God's commentary on the problem. Now, the problem was certainly started by Adam in the Garden of Eden, and it has gone downhill from there. It has multiplied and seemingly got bigger and bigger. And we see it here with Israel. Now, we've mentioned this in the past, that every one of those people that went in to spy out the land were Jews, related to Abraham in the flesh. They had their pedigree. They had been taken out of Egypt. They had seen the marvelous experience of passing through the Red Sea dry shod. They had witnessed the miracle of manna. They had witnessed the miracle of those those, uh, quail coming from God. They had witnessed water coming from a rock. They had witnessed God's protective care. They had seen the fire and the cloud. They had been moved miraculously. And yet when it came to going into that land that God said he would take care of them and had given it to them, they could not see it. They had never seen anything. One preacher said about people being around the Lord Jesus during his own personal ministry, they couldn't see Jesus in Jesus without the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here in the book of Hebrews, we find that they died in unbelief. And Joshua and Caleb were facing the same issue that we read about Isaiah facing. You know, there in the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah is such a grand statement. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. King Uzziah was a very important person to Isaiah, but he lost his glamour when he saw the Lord. Everything that was important before then is now not near as important, and everything that he thought was unimportant took up on great importance now. I saw the Lord. You know what next is mentioned about Isaiah when he saw the Lord? He saw that he was undone. Only when we are born again will we ever see and agree with God on the subject of how undone we are. We will not even, we'll listen to it. You know, I I confess at one time I was a Calvinist. And I said I believed in total depravity. But you know, really, down deep, I didn't even know what it was about. Until the Lord saved me and then I saw how ghastly the fall is, and how grace is necessary to retrieve us out of that horrible pit. Unmerited favor. God was not responsible to me because I was some belief or other. It was because of his grace that he reached down into a horrible pit and reached me out. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. Then he said, woe is me. And God says, who will go for me? And Isaiah said, I'll go. You know, that's the wonderful thing about grace, is God calls and people respond. I was taught in religion that you just could resist and resist and resist. By nature, we do that. But when God calls, even Levi from a a tax collecting station, he came. When those... Disciples that were fishermen, he called, they came. 
And that's the way God does his business. When he calls, people respond. They come. There is a call that goes out, Lord willing, every Sunday and every Wednesday night here, in every place where the gospel is preached, and people come and go, and people come and go, and people come and go, and now it doesn't look like anything is happening. And yet, one day, God's call is that irrevocable, that non-stop, that call of God that actually calls the person in his heart. And then they respond. And then, you know what Isaiah said? And Joshua and Caleb are good examples of this. How long, Lord? How long do I call? And he says, well, let me, let me put it right up front. I want to have you call and call and call and call and call till the cities are in waste, but I want you to know nobody's going to come. What do you mean, Lord? (laughs) Nobody's going to come. Well, that's the way it's going to be. Unless I call them after you've called them, nobody's going to come. Well, he went on and was used to write the wonderful book of Isaiah. And so it is here. We have such an issue mentioned in Numbers chapters 13 and 14, and now we get to chapter 15, and we have some solutions. All right, let's look over here. There are three distinct sections in this 15th chapter. Verses 1 through 31 deals with some sacrifices. Isn't it interesting after all that rebellion? God says, now this is what is necessary. God says, this, there must be an innocent sacrifice for the guilty. Now he goes through several of them, and we're going to look at one part of that passage of Scripture. But the second part of this is there's a guy that's out picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. Now, he is in absolute, total rebellion to the law of God. They are not to do that. And you know what that's going to share with us? When we look at that passage of Scripture, and maybe it'll be next Sunday, I don't know. But when we look at that, we're going to find out a man that just could not rest in Christ. He had to be busy about his works. And the end of that was death. If we have not rest in Christ, and we are still trying to accomplish our salvation by our own works... The end of that is death. And the last part, that's verses 32 through 36, and verses 37 through 41, benefits of Christ's righteousness, a robe. A robe. Now it tells us about some, uh, some bottom to this robe. And we look over there, there is a lady that said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'd be healed. So we'll tie that up. All right. When it has to do with sacrifices, though, we have to bring up a verse that's mentioned in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1 and verse 13. He shared with there, bring no more vain oblations, no more vain sacrifices. Let's just turn over there for just a moment to the book of Isaiah, chapter 1 and verse 3. Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 3 It says here, the ox, excuse me, verse 13, verse 13. Bring no more vain oblations. 
Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot, cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Now, what does it mean to bring no more vain oblations? By the time Isaiah comes along, most of the people are doing what those people that were taken by death in those 38 years had been practicing. They had seen these sacrifices and they were watching them and saying, you know, we are saved by the blood of bulls and goats. We're right here witnessing that. We are. And yet the apostle or or, uh, Isaiah was used right. Don't bring me no more vain oblations. Now the only non-vain oblation or sacrifice was, this is a picture. This is a picture. It's not vain in that sense, but once you pass over the line and say, this is my salvation, it's a vain oblation. Now today it's practiced in just another way, but it has the same meaning. People will come and take the communion service with us, and I am convinced that some of them are taking it and saying, this is my salvation. If I don't take it, then I will not make it to heaven. But since I'm taking it, you know what that is? A vain oblation. There's no meaning in it. It does not save anybody, but people continuously trust in it. And the second thing in our world today, in our religious world today, is people will come and ask for baptism and have no idea what it is to be saved first. They're going to trust that as their salvation. A vain oblation. There's nothing in it. Now, if you're born again, There's something in a picture, a type, and a shadow in the communion service and a picture and a type and a shadow in the baptismal service. But God's people trust the Savior and not a vain oblation. Now, by the time that this is happening, it's just really right new, two years old or something. We have them vain oblations going on, vain sacrifices going on, and the Moses or uh, Isaiah says, bring me no more vain oblations. They're an abomination, as God says about them. Don't trust in these things. Trust Christ. Now, there's a number of offerings listed here in this 15th chapter of the book of Numbers, but I'd like to read down verse 22 through 31. Back up to the book of Numbers, chapter 15, and we're going to drop down to verse 22. There's some before this, there's some meat offerings, meal offerings, there's other offerings that are mentioned here. But the thing that the Lord, I'm sure, wants to impress upon Israel at this time is there is only one way of satisfaction, and that is there must be an innocent ransom the guilty. There must be. The guilty cannot ransom themselves. The guilty can't make a good decision. All we have to do is follow those people that says, you know, God was with us and we said no. Now God isn't with us, but we'll say yes. And they went in and were defeated. That's just the way it happens. Well, here we read in the 22nd verse of chapter 15 of the book of Numbers, and if ye have erred and not observed all the commandments which the Lord has spoken unto Moses, even all that the Lord hath commanded you by the hand of Moses, from the day that the Lord commanded Moses and henceforward among your generations, then it shall be if ought be committed by ignorance. Now, who doesn't fall under that 
categories. Sinned through ignorance? I may have never robbed a bank. I may have never murdered anybody. I may have never done any of those heinous crimes that everybody says if you do, then you're going to hell. But the rest of us will make it okay. But here, the Lord says, if you have sinned through ignorance, ignorance of God's word, ignorance of God's law, ignorance of God himself, if you've sinned through that, there must be a sacrifice. Well, I don't think there's anybody I've ever met that hasn't done something through just plain ignorance. You know, you read through the book of Leviticus. Once. And you say, how could anybody ever keep up with all of this? How could anybody remember this? How could anybody follow this? And yet the Lord says, if we do anything, even through ignorance, there is a necessity of a sacrifice. Well, like it or not, we sin through ignorance. I've mentioned this a number of times. You know, none of us have any control whatsoever over our dreams. Sometimes they wake us up and we're glad to get them over with. But how many of us have done stupid things, illegal or immoral things in our dreams and had no control over it? And God said, if that happens, there must be a necessity of an innocent giving himself for the guilty. In ignorance, dreams. Goes on to say here, then it shall be, if ought be committed by ignorance, verse 24, without the knowledge of the congregation, that all the congregation shall offer one young bullock for a burnt offering, for a sweet savor unto the Lord, with his meat offering, with his drink offering, according to the manner, and one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement. I need an atonement. I need someone. I can't make an atonement for myself. I need an atonement. I need a mercy seat. I need somebody. I remember Brother Henry telling about preaching about a lamb, and there was a man that was in prison. And he contacted him. He says, I've just discovered I need to have a sacrifice of a lamb. Well, from that point, Brother Henry explained to him, there has been. The Lamb of God has been sacrificed for us. It goes on to say, bring their offering a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord and their sin offering before the Lord for their ignorance. And it shall be forgiven. So I need an atonement and I need forgiveness. It shall be forgiven the congregation of the children of Israel and the stranger that sojourneth among them, seeing all the people were in ignorance. What a statement is made after all of this that has been brought out with regard to the rebellion of national Israel against a holy God. God comes in and says, if you have done so much as sin by ignorance, you must have an atonement and it is provided and you must have forgiveness and it is provided. 
in the person Christ Jesus the Lord. It is because of an innocent taking the place of the guilty and only that way and that way alone. They will be forgiven. Sin cannot just be put away. It must be paid for. You know what the payment of sin is? Death. The soul that sinneth, it must die. Now all those on the left-hand side are put in eternal death. And they will never, ever pay. But they're paying. But they'll never pay because they continue to sin. But those on the right-hand side, someone stepped in the gap for them. Someone brought his person in for them. Someone stood up for them. Someone became their advocate. Someone became their sacrifice. Someone became their lamb. Someone became all in all for them. And his name is Jesus. You know what it says about the Lord Jesus? Even his naming. They shall call his name Jesus. Now I don't know what Joseph or Mary had an idea about naming their child. You know, when it came to John, they had all kinds of names. But his name shall be John. And finally, when he was born and his dad said his name is John, his lips were opened up again. So the naming of the Lord was given by God. They shall call his name Jesus. And this is the reason. He shall save His people from their sins. What does that mean? He'll make an atonement. He'll pay the price. He will lay down His life a ransom for many. He will be the good shepherd and the good shepherd will give His life for the sheep. And so as it's portrayed here in the book of Numbers, the only way in to have favor with God is that there be a sacrifice made on our behalf. Now the type and the shadow in the picture is brought out here in the book of Numbers chapter 15. And it was to be carried from this point on. And we see the children of Israel in the, in the land that was given to them. They were to go through this time and time again. They were to have sacrifices. And it was to be a constant reminder that they had sinned through ignorance. And they must have an advocate. Wonderful thing about the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is this man, by the sacrifice of himself, put away sin forever. Sin cannot be just put away. It must be paid for. You know, I had a dear friend that uh, I met because of a phone call. He called me to his home and he said he wanted to talk to me about his church. And when I got there, I knew I was going to be asked to leave immediately because that's happened in the past. All you have to do is mention sovereign grace and most people just cringe. They don't want to hear it. They want their free will to be patted on the back. Well, the Bible has no room for that, and we don't either. We don't have any room for free will being complimented because we always make the wrong choice. God is the only one that can change our will, and he does it by himself. All right, this man asked me about our church, and I 
He said, I've been going to churches here in town, and it's as if God is in a wheelchair. That he can't do anything without anybody's activity. So at that moment, I could open my Bible and start reading Romans chapter 8, and he said, Amen. He was in services the very next Sunday. He attended here till he passed away. But one of the things that he said while, he said, I have to ask the Lord, and you know, we do this. Some of the nonsense that I mentioned while I was pastoring before I was ever saved was nothing more than just nonsense. Lord, forgive me. Well, you know what this man kept bringing to the Lord? The songs that he used to sing that were a dishonor to God. Sins of ignorance. Well, the Lord had taken care of that problem. But even Paul said, you know, I persecuted the church of God. Long ways down the list. Burnt offerings could not and did not take away sin. In fact, we find it is not possible for the, that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, he said, I have no pleasure. It was types and shadows. There was no satisfaction, no real payment, no real reconciliation, and no real propitiation in those sacrifices. And we need propitiation. We need our sins taken care of. We need them paid for. We need to have them satisfied before God. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. That's what these verses that I've been mentioning is mentioned right here. There's no hope in the sacrifices of blood, the blood of bulls and goats. Hebrews chapter 10. And there in verse 6, it says, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. In... Uh, Verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Animals can't substitute for humans. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ came like his brethren, like his people. He had to come in the flesh. He had to be likened to them. Well, it goes on down through here and says in verse 10, it says, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for. Notice the A-L-L. It's in italics. It was not in the original. And you know, even my mother would say he did it for all people. Once for all people. You know what that, they, what that means? Once for all time. It's not for the number of people. It's for the time element. Once for all time he took care of sin. The sacrifice sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. How many times was Jesus crucified? Once. Because he was much better than all the priests that had ever been in commission to offer those sacrifices. They had sinned. He did not. But this man, verse 12, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. We've mentioned this in times past, that he's the only priest that ever got to sit down. All the rest of the priests couldn't. The work was never finished. Tomorrow was another day. More sacrifices to bring because he had not come and offered himself. Well, 
He offered himself, and now it was over. In Matthew, Jesus said, He came to give his life a ransom. A ransom for many. He paid the price. It was the ransom price. The ransom price for sinners is death. He must die on the behalf of his people, or they're not ransomed. And he ransomed his people, and that's all he ransomed. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Well, we have to define propitiation because that means payment in full. And if Jesus Christ paid fully for the sin, then there is no thought of them ever going to hell. He sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Christ is the anointed Savior the Godhead of the Godhead. He came to save his people from all their sins. Sins of commission, sins of omission, sins of ignorance. Not even knowing that we had sinned. We sin without even thinking. We sin, we're just our natural state. We are sin by nature. They shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. You know, having a religious experience doesn't mean a person is saved. Having prayer answered doesn't mean a person is saved. Saying I believe all the word of God doesn't mean a person is saved. Holding to a particular confession of faith doesn't mean anybody's saved. I am reminded of what the King David said in his last words in 2 Samuel 23. Would you turn there with me? 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. These are the last words of David, it says. Boy, to come to the end of your life and be able to say something. I heard of one preacher that said to his son, Oh, what am I going to do? His son had been bringing the gospel to his father who was a preacher for years. And when he came to the end of his life, he said to his son, Oh, what am I going to do? Another preacher shared with me, he just doesn't know how he's going to meet the Lord because of some of the thoughts he had against his wife. That's not peace. There's no hope in any of that. Listen to the last words of David, 1 Samuel chapter 23. Now these be the last words of David. David the son of Jesse said, The man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his words were in my tongue. Many of the psalms are as a result of that. And the God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by the clear shining after rain. And then he says, Although my house be not so with God, he said, This salvation is for God's people. Now, I would like to have all my house saved, but he said it's not that way. 
Although my house be not so with God, yet he, God, hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. What's David's hope? For this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. It hasn't happened to all my family. I'm here in many ways alone before God. But his, what? Covenant was for me. His everlasting covenant was for me. He maketh it. In the conclusion of the section that we've been looking at in the book of Numbers, it said anybody that sinned presumptuously would be cut off. And that is, they said, it doesn't apply to me. I don't need it. I'm better than that. I don't need a sacrifice for myself. They shall be cut off. You know, people say every day, I did. I don't need that. I'm doing well by myself. I don't need that. The preacher's wasting his time. Well, there was two chapters of the book of Numbers that were such a display of natural man's heart that God comes along in chapter 15 and said, except there be a sacrifice, there will be no atonement, and there will be no forgiveness. And the church says, He is all my salvation, and He's all my hope. In Him I have atonement, in Him I have forgiveness. And we can meet with Him now and in eternity with that great confidence And so we'll stop there for today and pick up a man who could not rest in God. Next week.